I'm still bullish yields. I'm still bullish dollar and I'm still bullish oil. None of my themes have broken down yet. So um, that's basically what's held my attention for them coming into this year. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Interactive Brokers Traders Insight Radio. My name is Steve Sosnick. I'm the Chief Strategist here at Interactive Brokers. And my guest today is Samantha LaDuc, founder of LaDucTrading.com. I've, this is the first time I'm really meeting Samantha. Um, some of these other interviews I've done are with people I've known for, well, too long. But Samantha, she and I have been sort of copacetic on Twitter. It's actually, it's kind of fun meeting a, a Twitter friend in, in something close to real life. We're not in the same place, but we're in at least, a, you know, Zoom, Zoom call, well, Teams calling. And why don't we start off by, Samantha, you introduce yourself, please. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the invite. I mean, it really is the um, proverbial water cooler, right? <laughs> yes. This Twitter, this Fintwit community. And um, it makes us all, you know, richer in intelligence, um, but also network and better traders, I think, because of this, you know, sharing. So thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, talk with you live. Now, I, one of the things that I think, we're, you know, where you and I are, are in a similar mindset is, I'm going to say I think neither of us were big Kool-Aid drinkers through a lot of 2021. Um, I think recognized that um, it was a great environment for investing, um, but may not have been sustainable, and especially and that it was very um, Fed dependent. You know, monet it was very dependent on the monetary and fiscal stimulus. And I think you were very early in recognizing the either the change in trend or the unsustainability of the prior trend, given, you know, given the changing environment. Please elaborate on that, because I really admire that insight that you had. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I call myself a macro to micro analyst. So I educate, I trade, um, I support clients who do the same. So my business is very much on making predictions. I am a market timing caller in a nutshell. So by you know, kind of laying on that particular um, hat of I'm going to have to identify what's going to move markets, when volatility is going to come in. Uh, it has basically allowed me to kind of go in and test, test, test the themes of macro and whether or not they kind of pass the smell test. I mean, some of it is very much kind of farm girl sense where um, inflation was an early theme of mine, and then translating that or operationalizing the data into a context of what's tradable, what are durable, tradable themes for my clients that I can set up um, across all asset classes. And then, again, this macro backdrop of, yes, we have tons of you know, Fed liquidity pouring in. It's very market bullish, but it's also very much um, you know, inflation bullish and yield bullish and dollar bullish. So staying on those macro themes and then spying a top in the bond trade, which was very, very important because that forms the, the whole basis of what comes next. Bonds lead equities. 
and usually by about a year. So when they topped out in August of 2020, I said bonds are done <laughs> going up, which means yields are done going down. So that kind of formed this basis for everything else, whether it be commodities, things over paper, um, energy, oil as an inflation hedge. Um, and basically, yes, that bond short that just has kept giving and giving and giving. And now equities smell it. Now we've, we've you know, bond market already indicated a while ago <laughs> and the equities are now catching down. So it's all coming to plan. It, it's, it's been quite amazing, actually, the, the, the ferocity of the move in the bond market. Uh, you know, now some of it was a bit of the exogenous factor from Ukraine accelerating things. Um, how, but I, I think the, the move that we saw in the two year is, it's, it's un, if it isn't, if there is a precedent, it, it goes back 150 years or so. What made you kind of sniff that out? Oil. Um, well, absolutely, the theme of things over paper is basically that the bond proxies, the duration trades of tech would come to a point that I would start to see it, you know, from my intermarket and my technical read, zooming out, you know, on larger time frames, it would start to indicate it was done. And in, in early 2020, it wasn't the case. I had... Um, very, very focused on growth to value rotation, saw the energy move higher and definitely said that that was going to be um, leading in 2021 over tech. Tech actually topped and then started to soften under the surface much, much stronger than NASDAQ itself because I could see the selling underneath the surface last year in that June timeframe. But the whole while it had to be that yields would continue to stay firm that the dollar would not collapse and that oil would be that inflation hedge. So being, you know, an early inflationista and putting pretty much all of my eggs in one basket that we were going to stay very, very sticky. Inflation is sticky. Things over paper were going to be picking up more um, attention, meaning hard assets. Commodities were in multi-decade lows and yields were getting extremely uh, strong. The rate of change in the yield spikes that have taken place since uh, summer of 2020 has not abated. I'm still bullish yields. I'm still bullish dollar and I'm still bullish oil. None of my themes have broken down yet. So um, that's basically what's held my attention for them coming into this year uh, very early back in November, December. I said 2022 is going to be the year of NASDAQ underperformance. We've had 13 years of solid outperformance in NASDAQ. It's time for a pause. It wasn't the unlucky 13, you know, um, yeah, whatever. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> I, it, was, it was just, it's time. And um, that obviously has continued. And now it's picking up speed. So, you know, um, equity markets, they don't crash from overbought territory. They crash from oversold territory. And bonds had already led the way. So that's basically how I've stuck with this theme of following yields, because as bonds continue to sell off with equities, it makes the whole structure much more fragile. It's it's fascinating that you mentioned, you know, the, the underperformance and the outperformance. I recently did some work running SGX versus SVX, the, the S&P 500 growth sub-index sub versus the value sub-index. And we all were familiar with the 
humongous outperformance of growth over value. Um, and I was, I was early in, in thinking that growth would catch up. But it, it's very interesting in the fact that they have caught up. As of, as of early May, uh, when we're taping this, um, they normalized to March 23rd of 2020, which was the absolute low. Normalized to that date, the return on both is about 75% in total. It's, it's like uncanny. They're almost exact. So then I said, well, you know, okay, that's, you know, those are big caps. Let me, let me run small caps. Let me run NASDAQ. So I, I extended it to the S&P in general, the, which of course would be about the same because if the two sub-indexes are the same, of course, the, the main index would be. Um, the Russell 2000, NASDAQ, even to throw in the Dow, they're all up about the exact same amount as of as in early May. It's unbelievable. So that's why I call no, you're talking my language because this is the intermarket analysis where we have to compare and contrast, yeah. right? So you know, Nasdaq leads, but it's you know pure devastation under the surface with the um, with the, you know the mid cap growth and the unprofitable growth and the tech wreck, all that has been talked about. But the point is, in my intermarket analysis. If you do the same thing with RSP, for example, to SPY, which is uh, equal weighted, you'll see um, a head and shoulders very clearly on the SPY and an inverse head and shoulders in the ratio, which is basically saying that you have this growth to value rotation. I also did the same thing um, with other growth to value intermarket analysis, which is what I have used also to confirm this thesis, which was basically September of 2020, I had the first spike down in my growth to value rotation, which basically said, okay, this is where value is going to get ahead. And then it triggered again in November of 2021. Both times there was something very important that happened with tech. The first time it went sideways. You could see the, you know, the Amazon, the Google, all of the rest, they just went sideways in very wide you know, volatility swaths, but basically the selling was taking place quietly under the surface because it was a distributive top, but it allowed value to come up, cyclicals, commodities. The most recent kind of pullback in value is very much related to currency volatility. So it's a little bit different. It's more China related. It's the devaluation of the yen and the yuan. So there's very much this carry trade in currency that is now in the lockdown in China that is very much a headwind for the current commodity cyclical trade, but I still firmly believe that value will outperform growth for 2022. I still see the things will outperform paper this well, year. Well, the other thing that I take away from that, the value growth comparison that I just referred to is value has been very boring. I mean, essentially value has gone nowhere for the last six to nine months. It, all things considered, that's great because you're, like I said, you're in the same place. As far as I'm concerned, if you could tell me two things would have the same ultimate return and one would have much less volatility, yes, bingo. <laughs> from a long-term long investing point of view, if you could get the same, the, the holy grail is to get the return without the, vol without the volatility. So it's been, it's been a good, I, I will argue it's the better trade. It didn't look that way for, the, for a while, but, it, but it, it's now resolved itself. Absolutely. But we also had all this, you know, Fed liquidity and, you know, quantitative easing is by definition suppression of volatility. Yes. Quantitative tightening, tightening is by definition triggering volatility. So now that we have 
liquidity coming back out of the market, where is it going to first and foremost, you know, drop out of this very, very high valuation, high PE trade in tech that is rotating into low PE value cyclicals and the rest. So the, the thing is, even this current pullback that we've had to 4,000 in SPX, that doesn't even price in recession. Yeah. So we still have room to go to the downside. We've all we've done is we've kind of uh, taken some of the bubble gases out, right, of the balloon. It's not even recession priced in. I don't know well, how else to put it. But the so fact that well, the, the sorry, I mean, the, the fa I didn't mean to step on that. The fact that we're all in the same place means okay. Yes, the gap now the gas has been taken out of the balloon. Now we have to figure out what happens next. Now what it's worth, what are they going to step, when and who and what are they going to buy? Um, buyers have definitely stepped away. This is a really big part of my theme of why I thought this was going to be more trouble, actually, more risk than the reward, is that I study very closely breadth. Like yep. you and I are talking about, you know, intermarket analysis, relationship contrast, divergences, all of that, which is fabulous and much easier to show in a yes, chart of course. <laughs> than talk about. But actual selling is going on under the surface strongly since June of 2021. This is a sold to you market. I know I've kind of trademarked that. You've I seen know, me in, that's in good. Twitter, right? I have my euphemisms, right? There's no question about it. I, you know, I have my euphemisms, but sold to you, um, uh, you know, is absolutely in place since June of 2021. And we topped out in November. So my breath and my volume and all of my, you know, secret sauce has been warning, warning, warning. This is going to fall slowly and then all at once. So bonds did that, yeah. right? We saw that with bonds. I still don't think they're done. I know that's shocking. I think they'll be back and fill, which is very bullish, but I don't think this is the bottom for equities or for bonds. Wow, because that's because that's one of the issue, questions I get all the time is, how do we know when the bottom is in? and you only really know that in hindsight, but the problem I'm finding is people continue to probe for that bottom and, and, and the sharp rallies you get, like, like the Wednesday after the, like, you know, the Wednesday afternoon after the Fed meeting, um, which I refer to as, as, as a pump fake worthy of Kobe Bryant, because that was, you know, sort of a, a giant fake to the market. But people are still so afraid of missing that bottom. And the problem you have is, there's only one true bottom, right? You only bottom once. There are tra there are tradable opportunities, but the bottom is bottoming is a process. So I disagree on sure. one thing that that last phrase that bottoming is a process. So I think it is much easier to for me anyway to time a top. So one of the things that I do is in addition to the intermarket analysis and you know spine divergences, in addition to you know studying breadth very, very closely um, to see, you know, really, are they buying or selling? Are they stepping up or stepping aside? Is this whole concept of this tops are, in fact, a process. Bottoms are an event. Interesting. So I really, really firmly believe that we can see the selling in a top. And then the only time you can really point to significant bottoms is Fed intervention. And we don't have that right Fair now. Enough. So Fed intervention has left the building, yep. right? Gone. 
And unless there is something drastic like uh, wages are spiraling out of control, Germany just came out today and said it's a real risk. But the point is, until then, they're going to keep tightening and, and then maybe yield curve control, you know, kind of dampens it. But that's a ways away. So there's still, unless we get some coordinated central bank aggressive rate hikes coming down the pike, I still see this um, bottom further out in time. We will still have higher oil, yields, and dollar until there is Fed intervention. And the only Fed intervention that I can see is their utterance and or actions around yield curve control. Until then, there is no bottom. Interesting, because I because someone asked me the question earlier today, and I said, you know, when when is the bottom in? And I said, when you get the sense that the Fed has turned, you're you're using yield curve curve control as as that as that signal. Maybe another pivot would appear that I don't see, but that's the strongest one. I think we're I think we're in general as as I find often we're we're in general agreement. It's this the specific we we differ very slightly on the specifics, but but what it means is we don't see this forming a real bottom until or unless the Fed changes from this, um, you know, changes back to at least a neutral stance from this, you know, if not an accommodative stance. Correct. And we can have some vicious short covering rallies like like you had just mentioned um, on Fed Day, right, uh, where there was relief that now the expectations were met on FOMC date. But obviously, it's still not going to fix the problem, which is very much, you know, war is inflationary, supply chain disruptions are, you know, inflationary, the fiscal that's already in the system is inflationary, wage increases are inflationary. So there isn't really going to be a big um, move, you know, in inflation expectations is, is basically my point. So um, the interesting thing also about the market, and I'm not really so crazy about sentiment as a tell, but I do like it at outliers. Like I like it at extremes. So we had last year, and you would know better since, you know, biggest brokerage firm, um, retail came in on mass, right? And so I've read it was like 50% of all new accounts that opened up, whatever. So now they had this fabulous climb up the mountain, Mm -hmm. right? For 2020 and 21. And now we are dancing down. We had the dance up the mountain. Now we're dancing down. And this they're leaving a little bit, but they're still kind of trying, but they're not really understanding that you buy on the way up and you sell on the way it's, down. <laughs> so it's fascinating you say that because, you know, I, 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 I'm privy to some numbers. I'm not privy to all the brokerage firm numbers. But one of the things I look at pretty closely is I see the top 20, the top 25 names at the firm on a five day rolling basis. I, I, I This is a report I do get and I scrutinize. Um, as of early May, 25 out of 25 saw net buying. And, and I, you're, I, you, it, it's, there, there, there's, a, there's a visual that you couldn't see, and that was literally like Samantha's face dropping. Now, I, I'll, 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 so we are still in yeah. a bubble. It's still, it's, as long as retail is buying, as long as Tesla is up here, <laughs> yes. um, now crypto is going to be you know, a thing, but we've already had a flash crash in crypto this past week. I know this taping is going to be a few weeks out, but the point is a Bitcoin has been correlated to NASDAQ 0.82%. So as long as crypto is up here, Tesla is up here, retail traders are still buying up here. We're still in a bubble. Oh, no. And so that's my point. And so, you know, my, my, 
I, I, I did a forum with one of the exchanges and my comments to them was, you know, what's your advice? And it was that don't buy the dips reflexively. You know, yeah, there's trading opportunities. We're, we're traders. We're, you know, you know, you cover short, you know, there's times you cover shorts, there's times you go long. Some of the best, some of the best, bull, some of the best rallies occur in, in bear markets. Um, my, my aphorism yeah. game is not as strong as yours, but I will say that bear, bear markets <laughs> are sharp, short, and ferocious. I'm sorry, bear market rallies are sharp, short, and ferocious. And and so you there are, but but the idea of that every decline is a buying opportunity. To me, you got to wipe that out of your mind. And but I, I see our clients resolutely doing it. And and I will be fair. Among two of those twenty-three are UVX, were, were UVXY and SQQQ. So, 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 but that's two out of twenty-three. There was a lot more buying in TQQQ than there was in SQQQ. Yeah, and speaking of that, I was going to say maybe those are hedges. But the the thing that I noticed most is that they aren't aren't meaning large. This is my my view. My view. My my, my sole opinion. It is slightly based on data, but not really which is since the top, right? This November, December, January timeframe. I don't see large portfolios hedging. I just see them selling. I, I'm with you. I'm with you because somebody, somebody asked me, you know, another question I get a lot is, why isn't VIX higher? And as we're, as we're taping this, VIX is sort of steadily in that low 30s, low to mid 30s range. And my answer is twofold on that one. And I'd like your opinion on this. Number one, we're not, there's, yes, the VIX futures curve is in backwardation, but it's in a, like a linear backwardation, not a, not a parabolic one. And when you're in backwardation, backwardation means that there's a short-term shortage of the commodity in question. In the case of VIX, the commodity in question is volatility protection. And so, yes, there's a shortage, but you're not at that parabolic level where par parabolas mean pain. Par parabolas, and yes. we're not seeing that. The other thing is, quite frankly, we're moving around 2% a day. So where should VIX be? It should be in the 30s. Exactly. It should be in the 30s. But 36 is key because 36 is actually that level where statistically you get like a 94% chance of it falling. So they sell the bejesus out of it and it works until it doesn't. So 36 is still kind of the line in the sand as it relates to volatility selling strategies, which by the way, most firms are kind of light, lightening up on that, right? Because it's not so useful anymore. And they were taking out body bags based back Spectacularly in unprofitable for, for and, and <laughs> spectacular great way to lose money, but yeah. So I don't have, um, in fact, I, I wrote about this a, a while ago, trying to find, and this is actually a really, big concern of mine is sell all at market is kind of like the Sam market, uh, you know, euphemism of late that I've been using because volatility as a hedge is not working. So on the way up, why bother hedging? It just costs money on the way down. Why bother hedging? They're just selling. So it's very tough actually, especially in this sector rotation where we've had beautiful growth to value rotation. And then recently, because of the dollar Wuhan, you know, the, the CNY being devalued, um, this was a big hit to the reflation trade. So even energy came under some profit taking yes. of size. 
I still am very bullish. Energy is alpha. You know, oil's going higher. I've got a very large oil call on for 160 in crude this summer and 260 within a year. But the point is it comes under headwinds because volatility enters. And that's in lieu of sector rotation, you will have volatility. And volatility reprices everything. So where is it safe? Guess what? Cash. Everybody can see the dollar is gaining tremendously, especially relative to, you know, FX in Asia. So this is going to be a theme that I feel will digest and then move higher with yields, with oil. And right now we're in the digestion phase. Yeah, I mean, on a real bit, this is one of the things that people have a tough time getting their mind around because, yes, the, the return on cash is still quite low. But I will argue that the real rate of return on cash, which is negative, is a whole lot better than the real rate of return on essentially anything else we've discussed today, with the exception with the exception of of, of of various commodities. But other than that, financial assets they're all they're all down more than your cash is. That you know for the for the for the crypto people who say oh fiat is dead, your fiat is outperforming your crypto by by you know by 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 huge margins, fifty percent depending on what it is. So so. And bonds are not. Bonds are not. Nope. Um, you know, Bitcoin, is, as far as I'm concerned, trades like a commodity or any speculative growth, you know, um, domain. Um, so th there really is just shorting uh, or selling positions to kind of step aside, um, wait, you know, or basically this whole theme of guess what is going up? Oil. Now, you know that I don't root against you, but I will root against you on the oil call. That would be that would be that would be that would be chaos to a certain extent. But so you know what? This is this is where you and I are aligned, where we don't need to follow the, the crowd and, you know, consensus. But we actually do realize that the consensus view has a really a lot of strong, valid fundamental points like are where are we going to be as an economy and as a market when <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. if my 260 crude oil hits or my 110 dollar you you know dixie hits or my 4.5 percent in the 10-year hits this year what would happen yeah. so i know that this is not conventional i'm not saying it for shock value i've had these calls for a year and a half and you mm -hmm. know that yes. because you know this is not new. No, no, you've been, you've been, you, uh, that's why you're here, is you've been consistent and early. Consistent, uh, yes. And so far, I've also been right. Yes. So I, I will change if my context of the data changes. And so far, nothing in the macro environment, only, it's only picked up with the geopolitical, you know, risk, China and, and Russia. Nothing in my intermarket analysis um, has changed. There's no policy coming out of the White House that's, you know, that's really going to move, um, you know, oil down, given the green policy and ESG initiatives that, that getting pushed. There, there just isn't anything um, that I can see right now that even though they're trying to crush demand <laughs> uh, with higher yields, it's not fast enough. So the macro is still set up um, and the intermarket is still firm. And technically, by the way, they're still working. So all my price targets have been hit. So I had to literally find new ones. So I'm still bullish, at least something. Yeah. Well, that's it. So let's change gears just a little bit. Now, you're a proprietary trader um, who yeah. who then, you know, has subscribers who, who, who to whom you tell what your 
what you're training. Could you go about your day, um, you know, just so people understand what a professional proprietary trader, not for you know, not a firm trader like I like I spent most of my career. Somebody who's doing it for herself, um, and you know, and how you do it. I, I little shameless plug here. I do know that you're a customer of ours as well. Um, but but um, but tell us a little bit how you go about your day and how other people might use your methodology. I, I, not your secret sauce, but your but you know your your thinking and your mindset and your discipline. How how others might learn from that. Okay. Well, um, a secret sauce I share with clients and my clients um, get all of my analysis live. I do a live trading room. I also post all of my research analysis, trade setups for clients. I have three kind of clients, um, beginning, intermediate and advanced. So basically I have a, a, a new product that launched last year which is Discord to allow more of the newbie traders, momentum traders, young traders um, to come in and hopefully understand a little bit more about the market mechanics. So I feed in my market thoughts and my chases. Then I have what's called my fishing club product, which is very much for, it was geared toward kind of professional retail traders. I wanted to be able to talk like this and be understood. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I attracted um, more of the, uh, the, more experienced, let's just call it retail trader, and then um, small institutional trader that was managing a book and wanted to benefit from my market timing calls because I do share this, you know, um, I hope succinctness of market views. I am very, very much focused on volatility. I'm an event trader. I want to find out when volatility is going to come in and expand that price in a particular direction, bullish or bearish. And I also want to know when it's been, when sector rotation is done and we're going to have volatility reprice everything for obvious you know, reasons of timing the market. So um, that is then, of course, you know, that engagement of I study all asset classes, all of it. I want to I, because they're all related. You know, currency volatility is going to seep into equity volatility. Bond volatility is going to seep into equity volatility yeah. and so on and so forth. So across all assets that happened to uh, appeal to uh, institutional investors. So I basically got then started an edge product, institutional edge, and brought in a macro um, advisor to work with me and kind of sit with them on Bloomberg and, and translate um, <laughs> and help them kind of, okay, this is what Samantha's seeing because I'm moving a little bit fast. So what I do is I literally am looking on the time frame of chases, which are short duration trades, I'm also setting up, again, think, think yep. momentum. Everyone's on a five-minute chart. I'm not, but still the point is I'm setting up what's moving. Okay. And then the swing traders that have a little bit more time, right? They're not sitting in front of their computer. And then the trend traders, which is the durable themes, right? My things over yep. paper, profitable because those were durable, durable trends. And they have just um, followed that kind of macro backdrop. And three time frames, three different types of traders, three primarily different products. Um, but it's all me in the macro, you know, kind of sizing up. And then I have a trading desk of seven. So I actually have a dedicated oil trader and a, a hedge fund manager and a futures trader and advanced options and momentum and gamma. So this is... I, this is basically um, my version of a trading desk so they can benefit from 
everything we have to That's offer. That's awesome. Now, by the way, that, you said your version of a trade desk. That is a trading desk. It's not a version <laughs> of one. It is one. Um, I, now, we could go on for ages. I didn't even realize it, but my producer is sort of waving me in the background going, we're, we're, we're about, we're about, yeah, I'm getting, the t I'm getting the time check thing, which means that we'll have to pick this up at some time in the future. Um, and so let me just, you know, I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, and I want to say thank you one more time to our guest, Samantha LaDuc of LaDucTrading.com. Um, I'm Steve Sosnick, Chief, Chief Strategist at Interactive Brokers. You can find this on Traders Insight Radio or on your favorite podcast platforms. And once again, thank you so much for joining me, Samantha, and I look forward to continuing to discuss markets with you as we go forward. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at ibkr.com. There's a substantial risk of loss in foreign exchange trading. The settlement date of foreign exchange trades can vary due to time zone differences and bank holidays. The interest rate on borrowed funds must be considered when computing the cost of trades across multiple markets. Trading in digital assets, including cryptocurrencies, is especially risky and is only for individuals with a high risk tolerance and the financial ability to sustain losses. Eligibility to trade in digital asset products may vary based on jurisdiction. 